Welcome to the Cloud Security Mindset Podcast, where we explore how interesting security professionals think to learn how they succeed, handle failure, and respond to the disruptive forces facing security today. Hey everyone, this is Rich. I'd like to welcome you back to the Cloud Security Mindset Podcast. And joining us again is Jonathan Poling. Uh, Jonathan does uh, DFIR, so Forensics and Incident Response over at SecureWorks. And we had an amazing discussion last week talking about how he first started thinking differently about cloud. Uh, Jonathan, I appreciate your time and I kind of want to dig in a little bit more this week. And let's focus on your area of incident response. So what you talked about at RSA, because even though we're recording before, by the time people listen to this, your your talk will be finished, is on multi-cloud monitoring, logging, and alerting, and all to support incident response. And last week, we talked a bit about how people get dragged into multi-cloud and why they're doing multi-cloud. But when you first started taking your expertise in DFIR, and not generically looking at cloud, but looking at your day-to-day job, where did you start? I, I started with the basics and I, and I mentioned it, you know, last week, um, really it, it's an, it's an unsexy start and it's, you know, there's, there's not a big boom kabang event either. Um, I, I literally just started pouring through the docs and I, and I started from the basics. So, so all those TV people have been lying to us about how, you know, kind of cool and, and sexy all this stuff is. Yes. So I joke about, you know, having like a real time forensics show and, and the first season of 12 episodes is just the evidence processing for an hour each episode. Right. And so it's like the, the unsexiest, you know, there, there's a lot of unsexy, uh, banal things, you know, that, that happen as part of this life cycle. Right. And so this is, this is another one of those necessary evils that that's definitely not going to make for a show. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in a lot of things I've researched and a lot of things I've done, I, I wanted to start from the beginning, from, from the absolute foundation, right. With the stuff that that wasn't necessarily super interesting or intriguing where you're always like, yeah, but get to me the good stuff, get me the good stuff. Well, as you lay more foundation in the groundwork, you're, you're better capable to, to handle um, and harness the good stuff, right? And so that's how I started with the cloud as well. So start with the basics. What are the services? How are these different? What's your first quick start guide? You know, how do I enable this? And then, you know, for each of those from a security person, I'm like, okay, for each service, where's the security, you know, aspect of this? And I think back then, you know, as you have the docs now, there's like a security section for each service, right? That, that wasn't the case. There was like a security section of AWS uh, where it was like, hey, here's some security best practices, by the way, that we're developing. Like there was no white paper back then for security best practices or incident response. Like these were very early days, right? And so you're kind of, you were left up to your imagination, but just started reading the docs and it's terribly uninteresting and, and painful, but um, that really laid the foundation for, for solid core understanding from there on out. Well, that is how you build out a base. So you, you kind of looked at the various services and you kind of walked through kind of starting from the ground up. Let's imagine today you get a new job, you walk into the door and you are going to be responsible for running an incident response team at a large organization and let's set this up. So let's just say it's a large organization. They're regulated, so they actually care uh, about things. They are multi-cloud, not necessarily by choice, but you know, in in part because of all the the factors we were talking about before. And yeah, let's say they had a really bad incident because nobody was paying attention to cloud. You're the guy they bring in this time, not even just as a consultant. Like you are in charge. You report straight to the CISO. Maybe you are the CISO. 
what's the first thing you do? The first thing I do is is take an assessment of of, of everyone's understanding and and uh, kind of propensity toward toward learning, you know, about the cloud or understanding of the cloud, right? So, uh, I need I need a a lay of the land of uh, everyone's level of knowledge and understanding. So you don't even care about the technology no. at the start. You're right. It, it's the people. Like, are you going right. to have support? Is right. People, people, process and tooling. Okay. Right. And so, you know, more important to me than than a specific tool uh, or a process is is people's uh, passion for understanding. Right. You, you can't you can't teach passion necessarily. Right. Like you, you got it or you don't. You you got to have a curious mind. You know, you can build some of that in over life, and you know things change. But you know, you got to have some sort of innate interest and, and passion in, in pursuing whatever you're doing especially this newer areas that might not have been well researched or still not well understood right you you got to have a questioning thinking mind of being like i get it but what about this what about that let's think you know 10 steps ahead even though we understand this now where might we we mess up in the future right and so but starting from from zero what what is the the base level of operation you know of the cloud like if I'm going into a new company and I'm building out an instant response team uh, for cloud, uh, the first things I'm going to ask is, you know, how many accounts do we have? What what are we doing in those accounts? Like, what is being developed? How are they being utilized? Like, give me a base level architecture overview and give me a lay of the land uh, because that that sets the bounds essentially, right? That sets the bounds of of how I'm going to. Um, limit my thoughts, at least for, for the initial understandings. And, and as we build things out, I need to know what's the limits at which we're operating, right? And are, and are they appropriate limits? And, you know, you've got to start from somewhere. So so let's start with what we're already doing, right? And then we, we can build on top of that or out from there. So going back, so you you listed basically your first two actions. The first is get a lay of the land in terms of the people. And the second is get a lay in the land in terms of, of the cloud deployment. I, I want to spend a little time on both of those. In terms of the lay of the land of the people, what do you expect to find based on, because you do this already, you get called in as a consultant to organizations, you come in, you're probably doing incident response live for companies that have paid you or paid your employer to do this. How often, what what do you kind of expect to see if it's a large organization that just suffered a breach? And and I'd also add another corollary, what would be a huge, I don't call it a red flag, but you know, kind of indicator that this is going to be harder than you thought? Uh, honestly, it's what I expect is the unexpected, uh, and and what I've what I've learned is true uh, for for cloud instant response and cloud engagements is there there almost is no expectation of a this is the traditional operation because you know as we hit on earlier in last week there's there's so many services you can use and all of them can be deeply complex and so there's no one way or kind of average way uh that that a lot of people are doing stuff and and fundamentally from a security level you you get all sorts um there are small companies that are that are you know really got stuff locked down because you know it's a little bit easier on one hand when you have lesser accounts and lesser people you know it's easily easy to put some static fences around you know and you have some very large companies that you come in and it's for an incident response engagement or just consulting ahead of time. Maybe they haven't had incident yet, but they're they're concerned about it. They want to understand best practices. You know, that you know sometimes the number one problem is shadow IT. Like how do how do we we don't even know how to stop people from spinning up infrastructure. Like we can protect what we know about, but but we don't know what else is being spun up until sometimes six months down the road. And and I provided an example last time too. Like 
sometimes they don't recognize it until this is a revenue generating thing and security team happens upon it and says hey we didn't know about that we are instrumented to monitor it um and you know you may raise it to a higher level and from an executive function you know it's a business after all like it's got to make money and it, and it needs to do it continually right so the answer might be i'm sorry but that's generating too much revenue to change. You've got to figure out how to work around it, right? And it's these completely unexpected things that you wouldn't necessarily go in and be being like, hey, we're going to have to figure out how we work around these 12 different accounts or things that we can't change at all. You go in thinking like, you know, a, a lot of times wrong, you know, it's just like, hey, we're, we have the ability to change stuff right now because it's an incident and that might be the case and, and that might not be. So literally expect the unexpected. The item number two on your list was to find all of these accounts, to find that revenue generating item, to find all of the, the bits and pieces and gain that visibility and, and kind of wrap your hands on the environment. Right. And it's easy to say that, but let's assume you're walking into a place that doesn't have great controls to begin with. They don't have the dashboards. Where do you start? How do you actually find them? Right, and so this is a great uh, case example for implementing logging. Right, um, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't have done a better segue myself. I mean, this is why logging is important. Right, it's, it's, it's a fundamental thing that helps you in so many regards. And specifically for this, if you don't know what accounts are being spun up and interacting with your your infrastructure, you, you got a problem, right? And so you, you've got to think outside the box, right? Because uh, traditionally, uh, if someone wanted to stand up a new server, unless they if they'd either have to repurpose one, which you would you would someone would know about more likely than not, right? Not always, sure. Uh, but two, they they might have to buy physical resources to do it and you definitely know like someone's buying a server something's getting stood up might need to be aware about that right but in the age of i just signed up with my personal credit card and now i'm connected into my company's account because i also control the iam policies and i created a role to allow me in whoa total game changer right like there there's no hand raising alerts that you're seeing something that's slapping you in the face and saying oh by the way this is coming down the pipeline right and so it can be a long time before you realize that which is why one of, one of the great things about logging right and so with comprehensive logging built out if you have external accounts that are reaching into your infrastructure you're going to be seeing those api calls made to your account right and that's so you're talking about logging, starting with the on-premise logging to identify the connections to the cloud environments. Did I read that correctly? Well, logging in the cloud. Um, so, well, both, right? Log logging is equally important, both in the cloud and on-prem, right? But but speaking specifically to the cloud, in environments which are, I would say, you know, typically people have a lot of problems with shadow IT and people starting new accounts and integrating back into infrastructure and doing stuff that they weren't aware of. The, the first step there is having logging available to identify who's interacting with our accounts. What are they doing? What actions are being performed, right? You think about, you think about logging in, in, in the sense of typically, you know, traditionally two ways, logging to identify performance issues, right? I need logs to figure out what happened there before that thing went down. And two, logging to identify what happened from an incident response perspective. So a root cause analysis, what happened surrounding that? What did they do? What did they find? What did they touch, right? But there's these other side benefits. Um, and, and another aspect, uh, you know, for example, uh, for, for incident response, uh, people would think, okay, you, you, you enable logs and you look at those and those will help you identify stuff. But it's sometimes even things that are unrelated to logs, right? So one of my recommendations is to set up billing alarms, right? You're like, well, what do I care about spend? Well, one of your first alerts 
for maybe someone standing up 300 crypto miners is a massive spike in your bill, right? You may not see that log first, right? You don't have guard duty enabled to, to identify you crypto miners. Like even if you do or have some sort of monitoring solution, that log can be delayed, right? And, and you may not have seen it or it might have gone to someone that didn't look into it, right? I mean, there's there's these these kind of ingenious ways to kind of set up these things that traditionally may be used for other things, but can be really harnessed well to understand your infrastructure um, and, and respond to incidents and identify what's going wrong there. So if we look at the logging monitoring, you're putting things in place, three months in, how do you measure your success? How do you report to the people that hired you to do this job and prove that that the program you're working on is actually providing value? Uh, so one thing would be to, to not wait months to try and prove the value, right? Because that, that value can start being immediate, right? And so as you enable logging, um, you, you have greater insight uh, and, and view into what's going on in your environment. It's it's not just enabling the logging, right? And sit back and, and see if and like wait for something to happen and then go, great, we have the logs. No, the 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 logs are a means to an end, right? So so the the logs are there to help you proactively identify or respond to something. So you've got to take a step back and say, all right, um, as as our business and and as this business, we we would want to identify these specific things. And there's things that every business should want to know about, right? And so that might be new account creations, new access keys, various baseline security things you might want to know about, right? But there's specific things to your business you need to sit down and go, okay, we've enabled all the baseline logging, right? But we're using these additional services. And so in those, what what would be bad things that would happen? And and how would we know that those things are happening? And you need to do simulations and testing yourself. And you say, well, great, there's a log for that. We turn it on. But how do we know it's going to catch those things we care about? We've got to do those things and see what turns up. We've got to do that. Look at the logs. They might have what you expect. They might not. And if they don't, back to the drawing board, right? It's it's a lot of very active development, right? It's not just enabling logging and, and saying, you know, checkbox done. And if, if or when something happens, we got the logs and we'll be reactive. No, there's logs are, are a facilitator for proactive and reactive security, right? And it's just a piece of the puzzle. You, you enabling them isn't everything. And so you've got you've to say, why are we doing this and for what purpose? And what are we hoping to identify and find? And how is it supposed to help us? And how do we know it will help us? And how do we prepare and make sure that the things we've done are going to give us what we expect and we need for these situations? Uh, the, the value is the, the proactive instrumentation of those logs and thinking through threat scenarios and testing them, doing tabletop you know, scenario exercises, making sure everything is what you think it, it is and means, and, and having those, those kind of end of, end of action, after action reports or, or whatever saying, hey, we, we implemented this, we expected this, we did the testing, we found that it will solve, it will help us answer questions one, two, but not three and four. So to answer three and four, we had to go implement this. We verified that we can also answer three and four from doing this. So now we can answer all four of those questions. And now we are, you know, definitively better, better positioned to protect against and respond to those things because we've personally verified and tested it. That's right. So we, we kind of spent a little bit of time talking about multi-cloud, although we, you know, kind of stated a little bit of a higher level um, than there. So, so one of the things that I'm, that I'm curious about is what, as you've kind of been on this journey for the last five years, Jonathan, have you been able to take out of your experience with the cloud 
and apply it to how you would do on-prem, you know, in some kind of hybrid uh, type of environment for uh, an investigation? Uh, and has that influenced basically kind of the playbooks that, you know, you at SecureWorks do uh, for how you're dealing with, you know, kind of these hybrid type environments? Is there stuff that you're learning in the cloud that's made you and the organization better in terms of how you respond to maybe more traditional attacks on traditional infrastructure? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and so, like I said, you know, there's some paradigm shifts and it really causes you to question your line of thinking and how you approach stuff. And, and the cloud forces you to do some things differently. Now, to kind of go off on a tangent, and I will come back to your specific question, um, but, you know, you th- people think like, okay, the cloud is totally different. Well, to some to some extent, right? But once you get so far into an incident response process, like, you know, there are going to be systems that are compromised and there's going to be data you need to look at. So at some point, it's pretty much the same as, as traditional on-prem. You know, it kind of like converges and diverges. It kind of has this like sign path, you know, along, along a straight line. Some of it's different at the beginning and then it's kind of the same and then some of it's kind of different at the end and that sort of stuff. And so as you're, as you're forced to kind of change how you're thinking and, and responding to things in the cloud, it... it you you have the opportunity to uh, you don't people don't always but you have the opportunity to take a step back and go have we have the, has this taught us anything new about how to look at what we're doing on prem has this taught us uh, different ways that we can approach similar you know problems in in a different way that's more effective and sometimes it's no I mean sometimes it's you know on prem is on prem right you know it's this is how it is right like we we can't do much more we've kind of exploited to the fullest extent. Um, but but at times, especially with with hybrid cloud and, and multi cloud you know architectures, just just by virtue of of moving things into a cloud, right? Like you may have better perspective and seeing more of the data that's happening in your across your on prem environment solely because it's it's trans you know transversing the network and going into the cloud that has better logging than you have on prem. So sometimes there's completely kind of just fall backwards into some of this stuff just by virtue of being in the cloud. And and I half joke and half serious more serious than not and saying I'd take a default cloud deployment any day over an on-prem just because of the the basic fundamental level of logging and insight that's available uh, within the cloud you know namely for for AWS um, you know sure there's activity logs for Azure and stuff like that and so you know the corollary is is likely there um, for other clouds but it's just you know it's I've gone into basic deployment cloud you know compromise and can go Thank God you're in the cloud because we would not have had any of this insight at all were you still on prem, right? And because you've done nothing. And that's right. We 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 see the same thing. And and you know, and it, honestly, it's a lot less in terms of folks that are you know looking at us quizzically when we say we can build things that are far more secure at a fundamental level uh, in the cloud than we can uh, on prem. But then you kind of go through it, and at some point you see the light bulb go on, and they go, "Oh, okay." I, I get that, right? I understand what you're talking about. So, so piggybacking on on the discussion of hybrid cloud and uh, how some of the the skills and some of the changes uh, are transitive, uh, have you seen kind of the skills base or the skill set of things that you're looking for in a responder change over the last five years? Now that you do have some, maybe some more automation capabilities, some scripting capabilities, are you looking for somebody different uh, because they're spending, you know, kind of more of their time in the cloud now? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, if if we thought there was a dearth of, of talent in the industry before, right? There there's a definite dearth of people that that are you know experts or, or operationally excellent from a security perspective in the cloud, right? And so it it has become increasingly difficult 
uh, and it was difficult to begin with already to to identify, attract, retain, you know, top talent that's that's really you know great and passionate about doing incident response and knowing things inside and out and stuff like that. You add this whole through the layer and ecosystem, and it's just people either picked it up or they didn't, right? And 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 many didn't, and it's that's. Not to say it's a fault. I mean, it's a it's a choice. Uh, they're no worse or better, you know, than me. I, I just decided to pick it up. Others did too, uh, but it's it's few and far between, in my experience, and just from from working with the community and and trying to, you know, elicit you know people to to stand up and say, hey, I'm I'm an expert. I've been doing this. You know, I'm working on this. I'm sure there's a tons of people we haven't even identified that are doing awesome, amazing stuff. But it's just compared to the traditional, I'll say, responders. You know, people that have a cloud focus are, are very few and far between. And and from from my experience perspective, this is kind of a a, a new. This is, this is really a great opportunity for younger responders, right? For younger people in their career that are saying, I'm just starting out. I want to pick something that differentiates me. I want to pick something that sets me up for a long career. Like this is an amazing opportunity, still is, for, for the people that are just getting started in their career to say, hey, I'm going to stand out. I'm going to focus on this, right? And, and I'm going to get cloud expertise. And, you know, I, I have some sort of a base and, you know, academic incident response, and I'm going to tack on this cloud thing. And, and this is going to be my differentiator and my, and my focus. And people will eat it up. They're, they're, everyone is in search of cloud experts. And, and you don't necessarily have to know it, uh, but be able to be groomed for it, right? And, it, and this is kind of... And be interested yeah. in it, right? And and one of the things that I think is someone, and I, and I actually love that answer, right? Because that's kind of how do we start growing the next generation of responders who understand, and you know, we're certainly making the bet. I know you're making the bet that there's going to be more cloud tomorrow than there is today, and probably a crap ton more next month than there is uh, today. If you look at any of the results of, of any of the companies that that do cloud infrastructure, uh, that's certainly been the case, uh, right? But what what the young folks can do is actually start playing. Right. Because just like you did, right, pick up the docs, you know, set up your free tier account and just start playing. Whereas in the old days, you had to have access to, you know, some pretty significant kit in order to, you know, really kind of hone and, and work on your skills. Now you can pull down, you know, configurations, Terraforms, cloud formations uh, of stacks that you can start messing around with, start breaking stuff, start seeing, as you mentioned, right, that iterative process for how the logs and, and what did I learn from that log and what's not there and finding those gaps and trying to identify where you can supplement those gaps and really get the data that you need uh, there. So that, I mean, that's really a fantastic idea for folks. And and by the way, I won't be like ageist here, right? We're old guys. Um, you're probably a lot younger than we are, um, you know, but I think this is a great opportunity for everybody, right? Because cloud is not going away. And, and whether, again, if you've got the right mindset to be able to do IR on-prem, you know, again, things are going to be, you know, kind of moving faster uh, and have to be be more structured, scripted, and automated uh, as you move towards the cloud. But again, that's a great opportunity for everybody in right. security because it is such a unique skill set right. right now that there's just a, a tremendous need, especially with with a you know an industry that can become very very crowded, like like incident response and security. It's uh, there's a lot of people in it, I mean, but the gamut ranges very wide um, for from lesser experience to greater experience, right? And it can become very, very crowded, you know? And so there's 
I'll, I'll say it a little bit more coarsely. There's a lot of, sh- you know, shysters who aren't very good at their job. Now. Sure. And so, but, but, you know, back to the, you know, young people opportunity, like I would be remiss. Absolutely. If I just narrowed it down to young, I mean, that's, that's one, you know, area that, that young people can excel, but it extrapolated and abstracted to a high level, literally any human being, any age of any type, this, the cloud paradigm shift, you know, there, there's been a few of them, you know, in my short ish career, you know, relative to, to careers of, of people in their lifetimes. But, you know, there every, you know, so often something around, comes around that's a shift in the way things happen is completely different that allows people to really take an opportunity and harness how they're going to differentiate themselves. Right. And so, you know, there was mobile OS forensics, right, that, that you know, started coming out like a decade ago. And it's like this is a great new area that I that I can harness and I can latch on to. And then, you know, memory now memory has been around forever. We've always had memory, but only in the last decade really have we been like, well, this is really useful. We really need to harness this. And then, you know, you have people that, that you know, wrote massive books about it and they're pioneers in leading how to collect it and analyze it and, and use it for, for, for incident response. And, you know, there's a 400-page book on it that's absolutely incredible. Now is an opportunity for people to differentiate themselves with that too. And so here's another one with cloud. And as cloud, it's not just cloud. Like cloud continues to add services and capabilities and stuff. And so here's another wave that, that can be an absolute differentiator for people in, in the incident response and security Space. And not just that, development, operational, anything like the cloud is like this equal opportunity, you know, provider of so many things that you'd like to do and harness it for. Like th- this is this is a wave that you can you, you can ride to the top. And, you know, as long as you're willing to invest and keep up with the changes, you know, you can you can be someone that that uses that as a differentiator for sure. If we were to kind of mark personality types, you know, it's clear from how you opened our conversation. You said, I'm always looking for what's next. You're always seeking. And when you started to move into the cloud, you did so in a, a methodical way, uh, to be honest, on your own time. So you, you described reading through the documentation and kind of starting to kick the tires and play with things. Put yourself in the shoes of an overworked security operator in an existing organization. What would be the two sentences advice you would give them for what they need to do to start moving their mindset and to start adopting cloud themselves. Should they follow your path? Should they do something? Do you think there's a, a different way? I, I provide my path as I share it and it worked for me, right? And it might work for a lot of others. But but really what it comes down to is just having an interest and passion in doing something different uh, and, and and doing something on a leading edge, right? And so it this applies to, to all walks of life, right? And so... For, from an from an overworked, tired, you know, perspective of someone's like, how do I get on this or how do I get interested? Like, you just start playing with it. I mean, that's just a lot of what I I did early on. You just start testing and researching. And I mean, it's my my brain doesn't shut off at like 4 p.m. Right? I mean, when when you're really passionate about this stuff, you think about it all the time, right? And so that's a double-edged sword, obviously. Like like you that can end up consuming your life. So, so you've got to be very purposeful about the balance. But just innately and natively, you know, I don't leave work at, at four or five or whatever and go never thinking about what I'm doing today. Like I'm, I'm you know, I, I go somewhere else, I do something that goes, oh, wait a minute, I didn't think about this. And like, let me write that note down. And then, you know, I'm, I'm perusing Twitter, right? You know, amidst of all the things that may not be useful, there's, you know, an, an amazing defer community on, on Twitter. It's like, here's a new thing I did. Here's a new thing in that. And then it's like, bookmark that, read that later. I mean, your brain's just kind of always going. And if you kind of have this openness and always going, you know, mindset, which, which you know, is derived from, from just having a general passion about what you 
you do, you know, this stuff isn't hard. You know, it's not an extra job to you, right? It's just something that you love to do. Uh, and it's just part of your, your mind and mentality, you know, most of the day. And some of my great ideas of what I want to do come at nine o'clock and I'm like, it's way too late to start it, but I'm going to write a note and I'm going to say tomorrow morning, you know, going to start looking at that and, and doing that. And I, praise the the web developers and application developers for web browsers because I push the human and technical limits of amount of tabs open that any human should reasonably have open at any point in time because <laughs> there's just so much going through my brain that I'm like, I want this, I want to do that, I, I want to research this and like start it. Okay, so this is a separate topic. I'll start a new window and then that, that ends up with 20 tabs and I'm like, oh God, so... Browser fail is like, a, you know, an existential event. You know, it's just, it's again, that star pattern. It's, it's great um, and when you see it, it's like, man, new frontier, right? But, you know, there, there's a lot of things that can each have their own star pattern, right? So you got to be careful. This is a great place to transition. One of the things I, I didn't fully warn you about is we, because it's a new show, so people don't know about it yet, is we have kind of a set of three questions that we like to ask everybody, or I'm sorry, four questions that we like to ask everybody at the end of the show. And uh, I'll start with the first one and then Michael jump in with the next, but real simple. Favorite book? Oh, my favorite book. Um, I, I I have a few favorite books, but I will go with one most recent, and it is in no way related to technology. Uh, and it's a book called "I Will Teach You to Be Rich" by Ramit Sethi. And at its face value, you might think, "Great, I'm going to look at this book and I'm going to get rich." But it it just it is not like that at all. It teaches you basic fundamentals of how to think about and manage money and not just for the sake of managing and having money, but how it, how you can leverage it and, and utilize money as a means to live a very rich and fulfilling life. And I think there's a lot of amazing lessons in there. If you're already financially competent uh, and aware, as I've been, my, my mom was a lifetime financial accountant auditor. So like, there's a lot of stuff that I already understood, but it's still extremely valuable in reshaping the way you think about things, you know, and it's so it's, it's not technical at all, but money and finance is probably something that's lesser focused on for a lot of people. And I think, you know, it should be, and this is a great opportunity to kind of at least learn the basics and get started because it's, it's never too late. And it's kind of like a nice break from, you know, technical hands-on development stuff. So it's just, it's a nice well-rounding kind of book. And so that's my most recent and it's a great skill. It, yeah, it's a great it's a great skill to have, right? Because then what you can do is start to think about, you know, being able to indulge your passions right. because you're able to. And again, everybody's got to make money, right? You got to, you know, kind of pay for things. But, um, you, you know, when you're when you're in right, M money's a facilitator, right? Like money's a means to an end. Like money should be used to 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 give you a high quality of life, right? And it's not, and, you know, stealing some points from him, it's like, it's not about, you know, cutting these these invisible scripts of like, you have to have a house, you have to do that. Like you, to, to save money, you've got to cut out the latte. Like if your rich life or whatever your high quality of life involves owning a house and that's something you value and it involves having a certain kind of car or it's spending a certain amount of money on like on food or suits or whatever like that's your rich life like that's your that's what does it for you like no one can sit there and say you can't and shouldn't do that like you get to decide that but money is the means to provide that right and so if that's what you want to do great create the budget and do it and like that's your life that's your high quality of life right and it's just understanding how you position yourself to have the highest quality of life you know starting now you know through till the end no that's that's yeah, that's fantastic. So, so second question, who was your most impactful mentor and why? Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really have any particular mentors growing up. Uh, there was, there was one person 
that I would say qualified the most. And it was in uh, my first job at DOE. Uh, and uh, he, this was one of my days of Windows. I was a Windows person. That's what I knew. That's what I, I learned. That's where I focused for forensics. Like that was my focus. And so uh, he introduced me to the Linux command line. And he had been doing it. He had been administrating, you know, Unix for th- 20 years, right? And he was teaching classes on it. And like that was his, you know, sysadmin was his previous job. And now we were working together doing counterintelligence investigations, right? And so he opened me up to this whole new world of command line that that just kind of you can leverage so many of these tools to do so many things from a simple command or two. And it, it just, it opened up like a whole new frontier for me of, of outlook on, on what I can do from a forensics perspective. And, and that actually set the, the tone for me and the base for, for kind of the rest of my digital forensics career in that for the rest of my career, I basically did almost my entire investigations almost entirely from the command line using open source, free open source security tools, right? And so, you know, one one of the you know talks I will like to eventually give is like you know the zero dollar forensic toolkit. You know, there's there's this mentality that like you got to have thirty grand for end case or whatever. Like you don't. Like there's their entire toolkits. If you sit down and learn the the Linux command line and learn to love it. You, you open yourself to so much opportunity. You don't need to pay a lot of money to be excellent at forensics. And, and you know, him exposing me to that and working with me through that and helping me understand, like, all of these crazy com- command line one-liners that you could do, like, that just sparked my interest so much and, and kind of got me to, to where I am today. And, you know, that's that's my that's my love. I, I live a lot of life on that, and, and I love the power that it provides to you. But, you know, kind of twofold into that is, you know, and, and not having many mentors, I that sparked my interest in being a mentor to a lot of people. So, you know, I can guess give them double credit there. Yeah. Pay it forward. That's right. No, that's fantastic. So, so yeah. one more and then Rich will, Rich will wrap up. So, um, and, and again, you know, kind of not, <laughs> so this will be interesting, right? So what would you tell your 25 year old self today, but not knowing that could, could have been like two years ago for you? Cause some guys get started real early in this, uh, in this business, but you, you know, so a younger version of yourself, uh, you know, what, what would you tell them? Yeah, it was more like two dog years ago, but I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, um, you know, I, I would, I wouldn't, there would nothing be, be earth shattering. You know, I, I, I knew early on that what I wanted to do, I was very fortunate, you know, from college onward. Now, when I say early on, you know, in elementary and high school, like I want to play baseball. That's what I was going to do. Destroyed my shoulder, ruined that career. So next discovered computer science. But anyways, after discovering computer science and the computer security, you know, I, I just, I knew that was a passion of mine. And so I, I knew that's what I wanted to dedicate my career to. And so I was, you know, I was on track doing that at 25 and right in the thick of it. And I, I don't think I would give myself, you know, anything that would be crazy contrasting or would or would really alter my life any different, but it, it would just kind of be a reiteration that, you know, the, the hard work that you're looking at, the hard work that, that you're doing, the time you're putting in outside of work, the time you're, you're dedicating to be excellent in everything you do, you know, it will pay off. It may not pay off in two years. It may not pay off in five. It may not pay off in 10. It may not pay off ever in some sort of, you know, recognition regard, but, but you can know when, when you lay down at light at night that, um, you've given 110% and, you know, you love what you do. You're giving everything you have to your career. Um, and the time that you're spending doing it, you know, is the best that you can absolutely do from a career perspective, you know, and, and as a person. And so that it would just essentially be a reiteration. Uh, it wouldn't be much of a change. Again, I, I was fortunate enough to know early on, and I think I was exposed to an, a lot growing up to help me whittle out what I loved and what I didn't. So it's just kind of, that was the right path for me and just keep on it, you know? So you love security today. 
How much longer do you see yourself in security? Is this the rest of your life? Do you have a, a career end? Obviously, you're focusing on the financial side as well to you know give yourself freedom as you grow, um, as, as you kind of age like we all do. I don't, I don't think security ends because security is a mindset that really permeates everything in your life, right? I mean, you know, and, and the different security jobs that you have define or, or redefine how you might think about it a little bit differently or a little bit more in different regards. But but I don't think it ends or it leaves you. And I, I can't see it ever ending or leaving me in that, you know, that's that's just my mindset. I, I look at stuff and I go, how would that be exploited? Okay, and great. If that's exploited, how would I protect against that? How would I proactively stop it? And how would I find out what happened after the fact? And that's just how I think about a lot of stuff. You know, it's it's an innate mentality like, you know, I'm a fixer. I like to look at stuff and be like, how can I improve or fix this? I never want to do things the same way twice. And if I'm doing it the same way twice, that thing needs to be automated, right? And so it's just a general mindset and mentality. I think th- there's no clear ending to it. Obviously, life will end. And maybe I will stop thinking about security at some point in the future. I'm like, I'm just too old for that crap, man. There's there's enough going on in my life. It's about quality of life right now, not thinking about how I can hack or protect or something like that. But I don't see it anytime in the near future. You know, it was this was an incredible pleasure having you on the show because you don't even know Mike and I very well. And you just reiterated so much of how we think about the world. And, and I didn't know, we didn't know when we brought you on that we were going to end up here. And it just it's not something we can assume. And I think it was absolutely wonderful. And then the deep knowledge and expertise you bring. So I want to thank you for sharing your cloud journey and, and how you've modified your career and how you think about these problems. Unless you've got any closing thoughts, I think we've taken up a lot of your time. Oh, no, I mean, it was it was an absolute pleasure, you know, as, as well. Like you said, we didn't really know each other well before this. I think I think we've seen there's there's a little more converging paths, maybe, you know, than parallel or diverging. So it's great to talk with you all. And i Love to share anything and everything that got me to where I am. My my purpose, like I said, from a mentoring perspective is to help people, you know, not suffer from everything I suffered through. So if I spent six months researching it, I wanted to distill it down to something you can do in a week. Save your time. Learn from me. Do more, do more, do better, do different, right? Like be better than I am, right? Like leverage me and everything I can to help you be the best that you can be and ideally better than me because that that's healthy competition put me out of a job right i mean that's kind of like the ideal that'll force me to to keep thinking better you know harder longer about this stuff and figure out what that next frontier is right i really hope your rsa talk goes wonderful i will definitely give you a call after uh, after the conference and hopefully we get to meet each other face to face so we can check in and see if things went as well as you uh, as you had hoped I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsor, DisruptOps, for automating your cloud security operations, and you can check them out at disruptops.com. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Jonathan. And we hope everybody has a great day.